2: Welcome back. This is the Big Blue Banter, New York Giants football podcast. I'm Dan Schneier. Joined as always my co-host, Nick Villato. Exciting times, baby. It's coming. The NFL draft is on the way. NFL pre-agency is on the way. And a slew of Giants cuts are on the way. But before any of that, we wanted to take some time to recap the NFL Combine, the 2022 NFL Combine that just wrapped up. We have the offense today we're going to hit, and then we're going to hit the defense. We're going to separate them because there's a lot to talk about on both sides of the ball, and we don't want to skip over anything. So today's a nice day outside, so it's even fun. I'm a little bit like, you know what, Nick? I wanted to kind of push this off and take a little walk, get outside, get some fresh air, and it's 73 here in New Jersey. It hasn't been this kind of weather in a while, but you know what I said? Guess what? Time waits for no man. Bitch, I never hold hands. Time waits for no man. Uh, maybe some of you got that. Some of you didn't little camera on reference back in the day, but all I'll say is this time waits for no man. We got to talk a little combine, Nick. So let's do it. How are you doing today, buddy?
1: Doing well. And I am two hours behind you right now, but it's 61 degrees. We're on that. So bang
2: I mean, baby. Gotcha. On. Bitch ass. Let's go.
1: <laughs> Isn't that wild? No, I'm doing great, man. Combine was really, really interesting. I felt like every single day had huge talking points that we should just probably dive into right now.
2: Yeah, let's start. We're just going to – so the way we're going to do this is like a winners and losers recap but kind of riff off on players we want to touch on more. So me and Nick both have different lists, different notes. We can start, I guess, if you want, like, quote-unquote chronological order with the quarterbacks, but I feel like we can jump around and just kind of touch on a lot of interesting points here, and it's not a big deal if we don't go by position. But we'll start on the quarterbacks. Obviously, let's start with Malik Willis, kind of the talk of the combine from the quarterback position – There was a fake report that came out from West Steinberg. At some point, I hope, Nick, that people don't send me the West Steinberg tweets like, oh, my God, did you see this? I I really do hope. Shout out Jimbo. Jimbo from Cresco, my boy. But listen, Jim, you got got. You got got. When you send me a tweet as a source and it's from West Steinberg, you got got, buddy, because this guy's just a random troll. I don't know who he is. My guess is he's someone on Giants Twitter, somebody like prominent who has another account. Because that's kind of what I think happened with the Dave Gettleman account. That you know that uh, Nick, remember that Dave Gettleman account? I think he's still around. Uh, yeah, he is. I'm pretty sure he's just somebody else on Twitter that we interact with on on a daily basis or a weekly basis or a month or whatever it may be, and just created another account. I feel like the same thing happened with West Steinberg, but we'll never know. But please stop sending me those sources saying the Giants are interested in Malik Willis and they're and they're falling in love with him because. <laughs> West Steinberg is not going to be the guy to break that news, dude. Poor Having Jimbo started.
1: getting called out two episodes in a row, yeah. man.
2: He's the man. Look, me and Jimbo go way back, Jersey Shore, Belmar years, and he's my boy. But he got it. He's got to get called out when when he sends me a West Steinberg tweet, and you know, like A, have you seen this? No. B, do I care? No, I don't, because it's West Steinberg. All right, it's called getting steined at this point. We have to come yeah, up. With- you got Stein, baby. You got Stein. <laughs> And I do take a little bit of offense, by the way, to this guy creating an account, West Steinberg. Did he have to use a, such a Jewish last name? Like, we already have a bad enough rap in this world. We really didn't need that, all right? So next it time you do a- create one of those accounts, make it like, I don't know, like like John Owens or something. Go with John Owens. I'll, I'll take that one.
1: It could be a riff off of Ryan Leaf's agent, because I know his last name was Steinberg, and he was a prominent agent. Leaf Steinberg, yeah. Lee Steinberg, yeah. So I don't know if it's a riff off that or – or exactly what, but I mean, hey, that's, uh, that's where he's going now. I find the account to be pretty hilarious.
2: No, it's funny if you take it for what it's worth and you understand what it's all about, but you know, there's just too many people who are reading it. Like it's, it's a, it's an actual reporter. Uh, anyway, let's talk about Malik Willis because that's the talk of the combine. Obviously there's a chance the giants are going to be interested in him. They did from what I've heard. Uh, I'm sure you can confirm this, Nick, but they did meet with him uh, as well as other quarterbacks at the combine. Um, some of didn't actually meet with I was a little bit surprised by, but we've heard this from the start. They didn't mince words, you know, Brian Dable and Joe Shane have said, this is, this ain't a done deal at quarterback. This ain't the Gettleman days of we love Daniel Jones. Daniel Jones, our guy, nothing matters. We're not going to look at the class. This is going to be a class. They evaluate. They don't care what you say about how bad this class is because they have their own evaluation process for what makes a good quarterback prospect and what makes a bad one. And, they're taking a look. And Malik Willis, man, did he look good at the combine? Like I've seen on film, the ball jumps out of his hand, right? Like I've seen on film, and we didn't get to see it at the combine, but he can run. He can create on the run. That's probably the trait I like the most about Malik Willis from my film study. And I'll be honest, I've at this point only seen Malik Willis' 2020 film. I haven't seen a single game from 2021. Last offseason, I watched four games of his uh, from the 2020 season. His Virginia Tech tape is awesome. You watch that game, you're like, this is a prospect worth taking a risk on, because it is a risk in the top 10. But my thing, Nick, with the whole Malik Willis combat, I'm interested to get your take on, it doesn't really answer any of the questions I have <laughs> where the guards from Malik Willis. My questions for Malik Willis are totally process based. Um, you know, is he ready to run an NFL offense from a processing standpoint? Is he ready to adjust? I, I, there's things I see on film from a pocket presence standpoint and from a mental processing standpoint that, you know, alarm me to be completely honest. And I don't know if I saw, you know, I don't feel like the combine answers any of those questions.
1: No, it doesn't. I will say that he reportedly was excellent in the interviews and a lot of people were raving about him all across Indianapolis. Now that says a lot about the kid's character and kind of gives us a a sense of what you were just talking about. But in terms of on the field, I expected him to throw really well. I expected the ball to jump out of his hands. All those things are are on his tape. You can see it in the highlight reel. So him doing it in his underwear in front of the entire NFL doesn't really mean that much to me. But all the raving reviews about his character and his mental processing in terms of how he did in the interview, that does mean something to me. And it's good that a lot of teams are kind of seeing that when it comes to Malik Willis. And, you know, he played a Liberty dude. That is an unconventional offense. You're not going to see, you know, Hugh freezes offense being used in the NFL too often. Those concepts, it's much more simplified. He's going to have to do so much, so many more different things at the NFL level and have to account for so many other things at the NFL level. But if there's one, you know, quarterback guru who was able to transform a raw product coming out of school, it's obviously Brian Dable and what he did with Josh Allen. So you can draw parallels, but are the Giants in a position to go after someone like Malik Willis right now? I think that is the fair question that we have to ask.
2: I think they are in a position at all times to go after a player like that. If he, if he is, in fact, a player like Josh Allen, I just don't think he is that kind of prospect right now. And I have to watch more film, but I yeah. think he does some things that are really interesting and really good, specifically his ability to throw on the run, which I believe is one of Daniel Jones's worst traits. And one of the reasons I'm not high, very, as high on Jones as some of the other Giants fans. But as far as what Josh Allen can do, I actually was thinking about this after listening to um, a recent interview with Greg Cosell and John Schmelk at the Combine. Shout out John Schmelk. He's going to jump on the Big Blue Banter podcast at some point in early April. So that's going to be fun. I, I got to be honest. Obviously, we've had our, you know, I've had my run-ins with Paul Dettino in the past, but John is a completely different analyst in my mind. And I, I don't want to get into the Paul stuff, so don't even take it as a slight on Paul. But look. John asks unbelievable questions in these interviews and you could hear it in the way he responds and gets himself involved and the context he provides himself. He understands the game. He talks a lot of X's and O's in these interviews. They were taught, they had a great discussion about Wink Martindale's defense, but one thing that he mentioned that I think was, or that in that conversation was mentioned by Greg Cosell, I think is interesting is that a lot of the time Josh Allen can just simply get away with like hanging in the pocket, hanging off his back foot, Letting his offensive line essentially break down and then still having the drive on his football and the velo to just rip the ball into these windows. That's something Daniel Jones can't do, is what Greg Gosell was saying. Not a lot of quarterbacks can do that. I'm not certain that's something Malik Wills can do, to be completely honest. Malik Wills has great arm talent for this class, but he doesn't have Josh Allen arm talent and he doesn't have the height and the size that Josh Allen has. And quite frankly, his ball placement is not where Josh Allen's is right now. Obviously, you can make a case that it was it's further along than where Josh Allen's was when he came out, but you're not gonna be able to make the case to me that he has the same level of velocity on his throw and the same and and honestly the size it plays a factor being six one versus six five in that pocket when everything's breaking down, you're just kind of relying on sitting off your back foot and driving a football. It's tough, and as they were saying in that interview, a lot of why we didn't see what we wanted from the Giants' passing game last year was because—and this is something you've talked about a lot, Nick—and I give you credit for it—is because the offensive line doesn't give them enough time for those vertical concepts to develop, and they don't have a quarterback who can simply just sit off his back foot and make those kinds of throws. And Daniel Jones, he needs to be set, he needs to be stepping into his throws, he needs to be throwing from that balance base and that over-the-top angle that he's kind of learned through David Cutcliffe. So, yeah, for me, Willis, I, I, I see where you're saying, Nick. Um, And I see what people are saying with Willis, but I, I just feel like he might be a step below that ball in that ball of clay type of prospect.
1: I would agree. I mean, I don't think he's near the potential that Josh Allen has, but can he
2: potentially grow into
1: something that is a top seven quarterback right. in the NFL? That's kind of where where I my, my framework is. And I'm not sitting here saying we should or shouldn't draft Malik Wills right now. I'm not quite there yet to give that kind of declarative statement, but I will say I'm not fully ruling it out either. And I think, I think we have to keep an open mind right now. Now the Giants need a, a crap load of prospects, and there are quite a bit of prospects that were at the combine that I feel like the Giants are, are more than likely going to entertain not because of the combine performance, but when you look at what they did at the combine to validate the athletic ability that they displayed on film, it's some rare, freaky type of stuff, specifically at that defensive line group that we'll get into in a little bit. But I want to bring up one more quarterback prospect before we move on and know that is not Kenny Pickett and his obscenely small hands, but it's Desmond Ritter, who I felt like. Proved his athletic ability, and I got to get into Cincinnati's offense a little bit, but I, I know that he doesn't necessarily, he's not Malik Willis as a, as a runner, but running a four-five-two and then testing well in the lower body explosive drills, the vertical and the broad, you can see why teams are going to be interested in Desmond Ritter at the end of round one and maybe early into day two, a la where Derek Carr was selected, which is something we brought up a few podcasts ago.
2: Yeah, he was the second quarterback I wrote down in my notes. I was quite frankly a bit surprised by his by I will want to say athleticism, but his straight line speed for sure. I was a bit surprised by that. Not exactly how they used him at Cincinnati at all times, but he's a prospect who's really interesting to me because I, and I want to go back, if I'm going to spend time on prospects this this draft offseason at the quarterback position, I'll be honest, it might, we might not have time to do too many, Nick, but the two that will come first for me are Willis and Ritter. I'm not going to spend as much time on Pickett. I don't think the giants are going to draft Pickett, And I quite frankly, I'm not too interested in Pickett. Um, And that goes for really the rest of the prospects in between ranked currently, or, you know, in the discussion between that Ritter, Willis range. But as far as Ritter goes, I did not expect him to have that kind of straight line speed. Like you said, for me, like the, the thing with Ritter is there's times you watch. I've seen, I've just seen, you know, you and I have both seen as a, a I would say a few, at least Cincinnati games on broadcast angle. I haven't watched any of the tape. Have you seen any of his tape yet? I have not,
1: but I have seen Cincinnati. Sure. Okay. Yeah. And yeah,
2: so we've seen him on broadcast, which is worth something. And for me the issues for Will, for Ritter are are also similar to Willis in the sense of the ball placement. I feel like his mechanics, but this is and I don't think they're going to change. I think this is kind of the thrower he is and he's kind of de- and and they help him in some ways. Like he can change the trajectory on some passes, especially in the red zone. I think his ball placement is superb. I actually think he might have the best red zone ball placement in this class from what I've seen just the little bit I've seen of these quarterbacks, but there are times where like his, where you'll, you'll see him take a different arm angle or you know, however, whatever goes into it, the ball placement is off, and that's the same thing I've kind of seen with Malik Willis. And then there's also the issues that I've seen with Ritter, which are kind of like the pocket presence and the in the and the footwork in the pocket. Those I think can be corrected a lot easier. And we we've seen some quarterbacks do a great job. I mean, Josh Allen—that was the first thing we saw with him. The footwork was corrected first, and that led to kind of the changes in upper body mechanics and all of the success that he's had in the NFL since after working with Dable and and Ken Dorsey and that Buffalo crew. But As far as Ritter goes, man, like if he's there at the top of round two, which is possible, he's definitely going to be someone I think the Giants are going to be interested in.
1: Yeah, and the only issue with the Giants going in that direction is do they actually feel like he can be a full-time starter or is this more of a little bit of a project because the Giants aren't in a luxury to spend a a day two, early day two pick on a project quarterback, especially when you look at a lot of the players in this draft that will be around at edge because the edge position is just insanely deep. Even defensive line, you could have a guy like Travis Jones who's available. A lot lot of people will probably want to hear the defensive line with Dave Gettleman, Being just let go from the New York Giants. And he obviously had quite an affinity for defensive linemen. Then the defensive backs, too. There should be a lot of defensive backs available. What I'm getting at is there's a lot of depth linebacker, too. A
2: lot of great interior linemen could be there, too.
1: uh, Yes. Yeah. And the the interior line is, they could get like good interior linemen, I feel like in day three, which is kind of crazy. That's uh, one thing. That's one big reason, man, why I want the Giants to trade back, not to get into too much of a philosophical discussion right now, but you know, you, you take one of those top-notch guys at five, and then if you trade back at seven and get like two more picks in the in the top eighty, if you can land something like that. I mean, there's there's just so much talent in this draft, but there's not a lot of high-end talent. It's not a good draft to have two top ten picks. You know, <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah, it's
2: unfortunately you're correct. This is not if they could pick any year. This is like the 2013 draft where it was just bad to have top ten picks.
1: Yeah, but uh we'll see. I mean we'll see. Uh, um you can't fully rule out Quarterback position, and I agree with you, Kenny Pickett. I don't think the Giants are going to be interested in Kenny Pickett. I think if Kenny Pickett goes to the right system, he can be a solid quarterback in the NFL. I don't know if you know he doesn't seem to have the upside of some of the of the guys like Malik Willis and possibly even Desmond Ritter. But yeah, that's basically most of what I have on the quarterbacks. I thought some of those other guys like EJ Perry, the kid from Brown, he, he could be like a, a day three flyer who can come in, and he's just like a unique story because he comes from this incredibly established sport family where his dad is a really, really renowned basketball coach. He played for his uncle at Brown. He transferred into Brown to play for his uncle from Boston College. So he's interesting. But And then there's a bunch of like guys like Jack Cohen. And I wanted to get your take on Jack Cohen, because I know obviously he went for Wisconsin. And then he ended up going to Notre Dame. And I was like, well, he picked up Notre Dame's offense pretty quickly. Tommy Reese, you know, sung his praises. He's big, you know, he's I would say a little bit inconsistent through his Wisconsin career, but what were your thoughts on Jack Cohn as like a, a day three type of guy?
2: Yeah, I know a lot of there's been a lot of Jack Cohn discussion. I saw um who was tweeting about him. Someone was tweeting about a I I think it was Dane Brugler maybe was 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 not singing his praises, but talking about how he could be kind of like a nice value type buy in that range. I'm completely out on Jack Cohn. I would just consider it a total waste of a pick. Uh, I've watched enough Jack Cohen. I don't. I know he can't throw outside the hashes. And in the NFL, if you have literally zero athleticism as a quarterback, which he has, and you can't throw outside the hashes, it's a really bad, like, it's just a horrible recipe in my mind for any kind of success. Like, sure, could he hold a clipboard and be, like, a worse version of Colt McCoy? Maybe. But, like, even those guys, the, one, the few that have had success, like the Kyle Ordens of the world, those guys have been able to drive the football in between the hashes, like, like in the middle of the field on those inbreakers. he doesn't drive the football on any of his passes. And again, just remember at Wisconsin, literally almost zero attempts or completions outside the hashes in that intermediate range. He throws okay over the top. So he's got that going for him, but like that was okay over the top at the collegiate level. I, I don't think it's going to be okay at the NFL level. And again, I just, someone with zero athleticism at the quarterback position who can't drive outside the hashes. Just I'm just not interested in those types of prospects.
1: That's fair. I thought I kind of agreed with what Dane said. I thought he can kind of come in and be like a Brian Hoyer type of backup in the league. I don't expect him to be a starter, but if he has to start a game or two, he can keep your offense within the script of what the offensive coordinator wants him to do.
2: I can see the case for that, but I, I just to me I don't see it. I think those those types, those Brian Hoyer types, have a little bit more drive on the on their ball and 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 quite frankly, better ball placement on the interior. And even Brian Hoyer has a little bit of athleticism. Like he escaped for some first downs at times. I he saw did. him do it with his legs. Like this is not a guy, Jack Cohn, who's gonna do that at all. And one more thing on Ritter but that you said earlier that I wanted to touch on. I'll say this if the Giants just view Ritter as a pro, as a project type, and this is goes for any prospect from this point on at the quarterback position. I hope they don't take that prospect. I'm not in the mar- I don't like those types of picks. If you're going to take him in that second round range, I want them to have a conviction that they're finding their Russell Wilson or they're finding their Drew Brees at that pick, a high-end starter with high-end potential. I'm not interested in project type players, anyone who might project as a, as a great backup or something like that. If that's the case and they believe Ritter's ceiling is that, then I hope they just pass. But just something interesting to think about, like going forward with the quarterback position, I am a big believer in you take one with, with that early asset if you're going in the draft or if you really believe you found yourself that, that Russell Wilson breeze that just, you know, was misevaluated by the community based on a variety of traits or, you know, for, for both of them, it was height. But there's always something that goes into these like later round picks. Then 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 I'm OK taking the swing.
1: I think, that's, I
2: think that's definitely fair,
1: and, and there's another player that we should probably bring up, and that's Matt Corral, just because he didn't test the combine. He rolled his ankle during their bowl game, and he's still kind of coming back from that. His pro day is on March 23rd, and I don't really think the Giants are going to be too interested in a player like Matt Corral as of right now, but it's something to bring up because he's being discussed as a, you know one of those top three quarterbacks in the draft class.
2: Yeah, for sure. And he's somebody who I think is kind of being slept on a little bit, just in the sense that, like, I have more interest in him right now. I guess I would say a little bit more than than Kenny Pickett. But obviously he has the checker background as well. So that's something just to think about and probably be talked about in his interviews. But let's talk a little bit about some of the running backs. The one that stood out to me first was obviously Brees Hall. I think with Hall coming into this weekend, he was kind of maybe the first back off the board, maybe the second, maybe the third. At this point, I think it's almost a lock. He's going to be the first back off the board. He ran a 40 yard dash at 511, 217. eleven two seventeen. He's got that really nice low to the ground uh, profile with with size and 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 a kind of you know bounce bounce off ability, broken tackle yards after the contact ability with four three nine speed, and that's something NFL teams are going to be excited about. I think, you know, even Jonathan Taylor who did who did what did he run? I think he ran a four three nine or a four four flat, one of the two, at like 511, 230 and he went in the second round. I don't think Brees Hall has made himself a first-round pick personally. I think teams are wisening up, and that's not happening as often anymore. But he might now be one of those top in that in that like thirty-five to fifty range at running back, where you see these these first backs go off the board or these top backs go off the board, which is essentially in a range where the Giants are picking. So I guess I'd ask you this, Nick: Do you have any interest in Brees Hall with that second-round pick? Haven't watched this film yet and know he was very productive
1: at Iowa State. And he also not just ran the 4-3-9, he jumped 40 inches in the vert and had a 10-6 broad. That shows so much lower body explosiveness. And the Giants may be in the market if they get rid of Saquon Barkley, if they trade Saquon Barkley. And Saquon Barkley might not be here past this year, even if he is not traded. It might be in the market to find somebody like a Brees Hall or a Kenneth Walker III from Michigan State to kind of be that day two selection who can be the running back in the face of the running back room for the next four years. So without seeing the film and just kind of going off of everything I've collected and people I trust and seeing, you know, just watching football on Saturdays, I am interested in Brees Hall. And I do think he could be a day two selection, possibly more towards the third round, but I don't know if he would be available There And that's kind of where it gets interesting because he is, like you said, one of those top three running backs more than likely, but you still have James Cook. You have Kenneth Walker III from Michigan State, James Cook's Dalvin Cook's brother from Georgia. Kyron Williams ran a really, really slow 40, which might drop him below a lot of these guys, but he's another one who's figuring to be like a theoretic with upside type of player in the NFL who's going to be a third down master who can also kind of come in and, and, and run between the tackles but what does he run Kyron Williams I think he ran like a four six five which was really shocking to be honest he did not do himself any favors but in terms of Brees Hall bro to answer your question yeah absolutely I am interested
2: yeah for Hall for me it's like I've heard the argument before that Giants fans have made like the issue with the Saquon Barkley pick is the Giants weren't ready for a Saquon Barkley I, to me I never have and never will subscribe to that logic. I don't believe in it. I don't think there's a right and wrong time to draft a running back. Like, it doesn't matter if you have an offensive line or not. To me, it's, it's the pick. You have to look at it in a vacuum. And so for me, I probably wouldn't ever use that. He won't be around when the Giants pick in, in round three, I don't think. So He I probably wouldn't ever use anything more then a round three, early round three pick at the running back position, unless you can like luck box into like the Colts, where like the class is misevaluated and Jonathan Taylor is for some reason sitting there and you're picking in that 40 ish range. Like, then okay, then I'm actually okay taking a risk because you know he has like all world ability. His upside is way higher in my mind than Brees Hall's just from watching them on Saturdays. I obviously haven't watched their film. I don't think I need to. I don't think you need to watch film to know that Jonathan Taylor is a completely different level prospect than Brees Hall. So for me, I'm probably out on him unless he somehow takes some weird kind of slip. And then if he does take that slip into that round three range, then you start to think about it. But then there's also the question as to why he slipped into that range
1: absolutely and it could be like you said before just the nfl undervaluing the running back position which is not something that we not undervaluing i definitely didn't say that i think
2: wising up is what i said <laughs> no but it, i mean it was undervaluing when jonathan taylor was selected in my opinion well i think like, they were just misvaluing right because they there was there was a running back taken in the first round and there was i think there was two running backs taken before swift swift went before taylor as well
1: it wasn't i don't think it was the first round though with and, swift Yes.
2: Swift was second, but CEH was the first.
1: Yes, yes, CEH. Now, that one, I think we can all probably agree that that was a definitely a misevaluation, and And it's wild, too, to think about. And you watch Wisconsin so much. so I mean, We won't dive into this too much. But remember coming out, Jonathan Taylor, and they brought this up on the Combine, I believe, too. His big I guess knock was can he catch the football yeah (laughs) that was Jonathan Taylor's big knock and it's just because Wisconsin didn't necessarily you know utilize they had a third down back they didn't need him to do that they just needed him to be the Jonathan Taylor that he was on first and second down but I don't see any issue with him in the NFL catching in space and, and making people miss and just being a dynamic three down type of running back so that's what I meant by undervaluing it's specific to Jonathan Taylor more so. And I agree. Brees Hall is not Jonathan Taylor from everything I've seen.
2: And they had the same potential knock on Melvin Gordon coming out. And then he also was able to catch the NFL and seeing a similar knock for Leo Chenal, Can he, you know, as far as his coverage goes. And I just think a lot of the times with these knocks, it's just based more on how they're used. And, you know, if you're not using a player in the passing game, that doesn't mean he can't be a receiver at the NFL level. So time will tell with that, with all of that, but definitely something interesting to think about. What about anyone else at the running back position that stood out to you? I didn't really have too much more there. I was more focused on the offensive line and receiver.
1: Yeah. So for the running back position, I thought Kenneth Walker, the third did himself really well. He ran a four, three, eight. This is the running back out of Michigan state. Like I said before, this is somebody who transferred into Michigan state and had a, a wildly productive year last year. And if you put on his highlight reel, you can just see, how quick this dude's feet is and how he has this just unique ability to make people miss in short areas. He jumped 34 feet in the vertical and then 122 inches in the broad. So that's 10 2 in the broad jump. I felt like him coming in and running a four, three, eight did himself some favors. He was a little bit, I would say, undersized relative to what Michigan State said he was. He's 5'9", 211 pounds. But still, I think he could be one of those day two type of running backs as well. And there's a lot of just guys like Zemir White ended up running a 4'4". He's a Georgia running back that was a five-star recruit who tore both of his ACLs. One in Georgia's freshman year. The other one was actually senior year of high school. So he has an ACL tear and I think, each of his legs but he was one of those situational backs in Georgia's deep backfield. And I think Zamir White could be a day three pick. Medicals have to check out, but he's someone that's interesting, who runs with a lot of power, always falls forward, very, very light and quick on his feet. Obviously, James Cook, his teammate from Georgia, he ran a 4-4-2. That's Dalvin Cook's younger brother. Excellent receiving type of back. Probably not as good in between the tackles as Zamir White, but I do believe that james cook can develop into something that is a running back one a true three down back might need to get a little bit more physical before he can quite get there jerome ford is it more of a home run hitter but he ran a four four six a lot of people thought he was going to be the this is the running back from cincinnati thought he was going to be the probably the fastest running back in the class but he's still somebody that if you want to change a pace type of back back could be available on day three he's an interesting one and then i'm also a fan of rashad white he ran a four four eight this is the kid from arizona state he was one of the first running backs that i Studied kind of coming into this class, and I was like, "Why aren't more people talking about him?" Rashad went down to the Senior Bowl, and I felt like he showed that size and that explosiveness, which is something that you see on his tape because he can kind of hit the hole, get to his second gear, get to the second level, and just outrun people at six foot, two hundred fourteen pounds, had a thirty-eight vert, uh, one hundred twenty-five inches in the broad jump. So he's another one that I feel like could be available early on day three if the Giants want to go that route. Then I think guys like that could be the 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 best course of action. Cause I, I would agree. Traditionally, you, you don't want to spend a, a day two pick on somebody who doesn't have that type of Jonathan Taylor upside. A lot of these guys obviously don't have that, but they could be available on day three and kind of really help complement Saquon Barkley in Barkley's possibly last season as a New York giant.
2: Yeah, for sure. Like I've said on pre- previous podcasts, Nick's Nick, and I'm definitely now going to, by the way, take my time on Zamir white, because he just screams reeks of a player that interests me downgraded because of the injuries downgraded because of the role. Former five-star recruit. Love those types of prospects. But I have said before, and I'll say it again, Nick, this is the draft, and these are the coming drafts if they don't go this year, where I want the Giants to make that play. You know, make your play to find your day two or late day two or day three back that can carry the load, for a cap hit of less than a million for four straight years, you run the contract through and you replenish. You do it all over again. That's how you play the running back position. It's one of the few positions in the NFL, from a you know roster building standpoint and thirty thousand foot view standpoint, that I think is pretty cut and clear in my mind. It's very wise, and I don't really find too many of the debates, you know, all the arguments that suggest otherwise. It's the only position really like this. Like all the other positions, I think you can have a devil's advocate argument that's strong for either side of it, but for this position the idea of just running that rookie deal through that cheap rookie deal through for ev- every four years makes just all too much sense, given everything we know about the running back. Position. So I want to find that guy in that class. So I'm going to do some digging. last year was Khalil Herbert for me. who ended up going in the fifth round. I was hoping the Giants would get him at some point. They did not. That was disappointing, but I'm going to find that guy. I'm just, it's just early in the process. So I'm kind of, you know, not as it, not as uh, informed just yet on the running back position, but I'll definitely keep an eye on some of those names you mentioned, Nick, because they're certainly intriguing.
1: Yeah, I think Brian Robinson from Alabama is somebody else. Didn't test as well as he probably would like, but he's like six foot two, two hundred and twenty-five pounds, ran a four five three. So that's not terrible, but he's obviously very accomplished going to the University of Alabama. He was their primary running back this year, kind of waited behind a long list of running backs and finally got his chance to be like the I guess you could say premier back at Alabama. I think he could be available on day three. And then Damian Pierce, who skyrocketed at the Senior Bowl, he's the back from Florida, was criminally underused in Dan Mullins' offense. He came down here, ran a 4.59. That's kind of where a lot of people expected him to run benched 225 pounds, 21 times, vert 34 and a half, broad, just under 10 feet. But again, this is somebody who is just very, very physical on contact, has really, really good contact balance. And his arrow was trending upwards. This could maybe dip it with a subpar combine performance, and maybe he could possibly be there at day three as well.
2: Just a couple names to keep an eye on for those of you listening in. And we're going to dive deeper than we have in the past, the running back position, because this could be a year for it. All right, let's transition to wide receiver where a lot of people caught my attention at this combine. And the funny thing for me, Nick, is a lot of my favorite players look good at the combine. Two of my favorites in this draft class, the wide receiver position, are um, Christian Watson at a North Dakota State and Alec Pierce at a Cincinnati. And they both put on a show at the combine. Neither of them is considered the top prospect. Neither of them is really even considered like a top five prospect in this position. I love them both. Um, So let's start with one of the two. We'll start with Alec Pierce, who's a player... Obviously, the Cincinnati wide receiver played with Desmond Ritter. So I've seen a lot of him on broadcast. And then uh, my my colleague, Dave, Dave Richard, talked about how he loves uh, Alec Pierce. Loves, or sorry, he loves a receiver that reminds him a little bit of that Cooper Cup look like coming out. And I'm like, who is that? And he goes, Alec. And I, and I say, let me guess, Alec Pierce, because I had watched a little bit of Pierce myself at that point. So we started diving into the Pierce tape. And I got to be honest with you, Nick, I love this kid. I feel like he is what Michael Pittman was coming out. In my mind, but potentially even better. I think he has unbelievable body control in the air. He can box out with his body. He high points the football well. His hands are incredibly strong. Like his grip strength is awesome. He doesn't drop balls. He should. And he comes out, and no one expected this at six three, two hundred eleven. He ran a four-four-one. Like this looked like on film, not even on film, just like you you think of this guy as like a four-five player even though he does look good on film running those vert routes. He came out with a 4-4-1 four, four, and a 40-and-a-half-inch vertical jump with an 11-foot or nearly 11-foot broad jump. He's long. He's limber. He's explosive in his jumps. He can jump high. He high points the ball. He apparently has the deep speed, the the straight-line speed. Man, this kid looks to me like he's shaping up to be an absolute steal on day two.
1: Yeah, Alec Pierce is definitely somebody that is wildly athletic. He was on Bruce Feldman's freak list as well. In college, he never broke a thousand yards in a season, but I don't really overanalyze that. He had 873 yards, eight touchdowns on 52 catches this year, Desmond Ritter throwing on the football. And I've saw seen him on broadcast. You could definitely see all the things that you said, how he uses his body, his body control in the air and his ability to win contested catches. I think he's very interesting. This is a very, very deep wide receiver class for like the third or fourth year in a row, which is excellent because it means some of these guys could slide to day three. I don't think Alec Pierce, will at the end of the day, but some of these other guys we're going to talk about could realistically be available in day three because if you look at this wide receiver group, dude. I mean, you have Jameson Williams who tore his ACL. John Mechie tore his ACL as well. Those are both the Alabama receivers who were thought of as first round picks. Jameson Williams will still probably be a first round pick. You have the Ohio State guys. You have Traylon Burks, Jahan Dotson. David Bell tested terribly, but he's another really skilled receiver up there in the Big Ten out of Purdue. And you brought up two guys who, where are they going to go? Somewhere on day two, and Christian Watson and Alec Pierce. I think the Alec Pierce call is, is an excellent one. And then there's Christian Watson who went to North Dakota State. They like to run the ball a lot down there. And this dude shows up to the senior bowl and is just lights out. And then he comes to the combine, runs a four, three, six, jumps out of the gym with a 38 and a half vert. And a broad jump of 136 inches, dude. Like that is elite testing numbers right there for even a wide receiver at six foot four, 208 pounds. Like Christian Watson, he could be a back end round one pick, to be honest. And and, and somebody that I feel like he would
2: I think he yeah. is going to be a round one pick now.
1: Yeah, he he very well could. And it's not just because of this. Like you watch this film, right? North Dakota State. Used him in a variety of different ways. He was used kind of like how Cooper cup is used. A lot of jet sweeps, a lot of quick hitters, get the football in his hands. And then also just stretch the field, stretch the field, stretch the field. Didn't have the most diverse route tree, but that's, I feel something that can be worked on. I feel like that's something that might be a little little bit overanalyzed. I understand why people nitpick it because it is important, but if the kid is smart and the kid has the athletic ability to run the routes, I feel like coaches in the NFL can coach them to run the routes. And Christian Watson has that athletic ability and that lower body flexion to run those unique pivot routes. And he can sink his hips effortlessly. He can bend through his waist at his ankle joints, at his knees. He, I have no worry about him athletically being able to learn a more diverse route tree once he gets into an NFL coach's hands.
2: And I'm so glad you said that because I want to plant the flag here on the Big Blue Bander podcast because I completely agree with that. I think the most overanalyzed and I feel like there's an edge you can find now with these prospects who, quote unquote, don't run the full route. tree. like think about back to DK Metcalf. One of the biggest knocks outside of him not running that three cone drill well was that he only ran a couple routes at the NFL, at the collegiate level. Well, guess what? This is not you, you don't go by what they're currently able to do. Go by what this is projection based. Like Nick said, if these guys are dedicated to their craft and they want to be the best, you get them with good NFL coaching, they're going to be able to learn to run the rest of the route. Tree. So there is now value, I think, in, in finding these players who are, quote unquote, knocked because they don't run the full route here. They don't have a lot of routes on tape, uh, you know, a variety of, of routes they win on tape. Don't worry about what they've done, what they've won on tape so far. Worry about what they're what they can potentially do. Um, and I think that's a great place to find value. So ultimately, you know, the giants may not be in the mix for somebody like, like Watson, because if he does end up on day one, or just because they've invested recently in Tony and Galladay at the receiver position, but at some point with any of these players, it's about best player available. Um, and I'm excited to see Christian. Mott. I'm definitely excited to see him at the next level.
1: Yeah. So am I. And I'm also really excited to see Calvin Austin, the third man, this dude is. Just 5'80. He's like five foot seven, 170 pounds. Doesn't have a big catch radius or anything like that. But dude, this guy flew at the senior bowl, was beating division one, even though Memphis is a division one, but power five SEC type of cornerbacks and just making them look silly, man. Ran a four-three-two at the combine 39-inch vert, 135 in the broad. And he was one of the receivers that ran a three-cone. A lot of people didn't run the three-cone this year. He was one of them, and he ran a six-six-five, which is a very very good three cone. And if you look at, there was like, I think there was a solid amount of wide receivers that ran a three cone, but only three went sub seven, which was really, really odd to be honest. And I saw people on draft Twitter kind of talking about how people are running slower three cones now. So you're not seeing as much of it, but Calvin also running a six, six, five is, is rare. And you can see the change of direction too on film.
2: Yeah. I mean, there's a lot of receivers that are worth talking about. I think here, um, who else jumps out to you? Who else jumps out to you outside of Austin? Yeah, the
1: two Ohio State guys, they're probably both going to be round one picks. And we're saying that about a lot of people, but I would imagine that Garrett Wilson and Chris Olave both are first round picks. Garrett Wilson ran faster than Chris Olave at a 4.3.8, and Olave ran a 4.3.9. But it, the combine was weird because the wide receiver unofficial times were so much different than the official times. Like Chris Olave ran like a 4.2.6 or something like that, and it gets adjusted to a 4.3.9. <laughs> like, yeah. you got to be pissed weird. off. Yeah, it happened with a lot of these guys too. Uh, Tyquan Thornton, the guy who ran the fastest forty, he's the kid from Baylor because they just are like a track team down there with all the fast guys they have. He ran a four two one to start and then he got readjusted to a four two eight, still incredibly fast. But Garrett Wilson and Chris Olave, they're both primed to be, you know, names that people, the average NFL fan will know because so they're both route technicians. Olave is a vertical type of threat, but kind of have success at all three levels. Of the field, So I think both those guys are probably going to end up going to the first round, probably won't be around for the New York Giants, but a name that could be a sky more out of Western Michigan. I'm eager to get to this kid's tape. He ran a 4-4-1, jumped 34 and a half in the vertical, 125 inches in the broad. And he's somebody that Daniel Jeremiah said is not getting out of day two, which is surprising because again, this is a very deep class, but if he does get out of day two, I think Sky Moore could definitely be somebody that would interest the Giants because he's a really good route runner, has sure hands. And from everything that I've heard is a well-rounded player.
2: Yeah. I'm glad you mentioned the Ohio state receivers. Alave to me is a faster version, straight line of Calvin Ridley. He's going to be an absolute star at the NFL level. And mm. I think that Garrett Wilson, you could see it when he was running. I was watching it when he was running kind of the drills. He just, the way he moves, it's so freaking smooth. Like he I don't see how he fails either. Those to me are just like two can't fail prospects at the wide receiver position outside of obviously injuries. I wanted to give a shout out to Bo Melton, a local product out of Rutgers. I think that he really caught people's attention at this combine. And that's people, you know, who don't watch Rutgers very, very often. I've seen them just because my brother went there and my family is fans of that team. He could be somebody who could be something at the next level as well. I think he, what did he run here? I'm trying to get the exact number on Melton. He ran Melton, a 4 yeah, 434. He's only 5'11, 190. But we ran a 434. And not only did he run a 434, I'm pretty sure his explosion numbers, like his his uh, his jumps and his and his uh agility drills all look good. He looked good on the film on the field. He looks good when I watch him. He kind of reminds me a little bit, not the same, but a little bit of Eli Moore last year, who was a big blue Bander favorite. Uh so he's somebody on my radar as well. I don't think the Giants might have interest again in these receivers, but especially uh, you know, a smaller guy after just drafting Tony. But at the same time. He's definitely on my radar. I wanted to give a shout-out to the Rutgers product.
1: Yeah, I love the shout-out. Bo Melton, I watched his tape. I think all the explosiveness is there. I'm not surprised that he jumped 38 in the vert, and then he had a 10-1 broad jump out of set, a sub-7, three-cone, ran the fast 40, like we said. Uh, he's going to be a day-three guy, though uh, more of a special teamer. Uh, he needs to really kind of clean up the consistency in which he catches the football, which is something that I felt like plagued him a little bit at Rutgers. But I do feel like he's one of those sleeper guys that should be around in day three that I'm interested in. Cause if he does clean that up, I think he can be a fun weapon and he's already going to have the special teams upside. Yeah, for sure. One more wide receiver. I think we have to address cause he's being talked about as a, a round one pick. And I talked about him a lot on the, on the pre combine show and that's Traylon Burks because if there's a loser. I guess you could say it's Traylon Burks because he was supposed to measure in at like six four and supposed to have like 11 inch hands. And he came in at 6'2", two, 225, solid weight with nine and seven eighths inch hands. A lot of people saying that he wore four XL gloves, but sub 10 inch hands. I don't know if that's going to translate to four XL gloves. He ran a really slow three cone. And I think a lot of people did not want to run three cone after that. And he did not test all that well in the explosiveness. And he ran a four, four, five when a lot of people thought he was going to be like a four, three, nine, or even a four, four guy. I still think running a four, five, five at 225 pounds, it's not the worst thing in the world. But a lot of people were talking about Traylon Burks as possibly being the number one receiver selected. And I think this combine probably threw a little bit of cold water on that, despite the fact that he is very, very good. And I've seen him outrun defensive backs before. I think he's faster than four, four, or five when you watch his tape. But still, it's it's not the the best look for him, despite the fact that he is a talented dude.
2: Yeah, that's fair. He is considered a Combine loser, but I think anyone, including you, who just mentioned it and myself as well, who's watched any little bit of his tape can see him outrun those defensive backs. He's clearly a guy who's much faster on the field than at the Combine. And I think probably NFL teams will see it and he'll still be drafted high. I don't know if he'll be the first receiver drafted. There's, I mean, Olave and Wilson are awesome too. And obviously you mentioned some of the Bama receivers despite the injury. So we'll see what happens there. But I, I would agree. He was technically a quote unquote loser.
1: Yeah, if we had to if we had to select one for sure, but yeah, dude, the tight ends, man. I mean, I did not, I don't not know who Chig Uncle Wonko is to be honest. But running a four five yeah. two is, is a a pretty solid time. I haven't watched Maryland Maryland's offense, so I didn't know much about this guy. But now I'm interested to dive into his tape, despite the fact that he's
2: more of an H back at six two, two hundred thirty eight pounds. Right, maybe not exactly what the Giants are in the market for there at that position, but. Definitely interesting as well. You know, not a pretty slow weekend, though, for the tight ends. I don't have too much else on that position before going offensive line. Anyone else you want to touch on?
1: Absolutely. So first I want to touch on Jelani Woods because this is somebody I also have not gotten around to Virginia's tape, but I heard so many good things about him at the Shrine Bowl. So I was like, okay, this is interesting. Let's keep, you know, his name in the back of my mind. He measures in at the combine six, seven, 259 pounds. So he has that prototypical Y type of frame. And he reminds me a lot of Mo Ali Cox. He ran a four, six, one. And if you turn on just his highlights, got to get into the tape, you know, you don't want to make an evaluation off of the highlights. You never do that, but you can kind of get a, gl- a glimpse of his upside when you're watching the highlights. You can see how he jumps up high points, balls. He really has that Mo Alley Cox type of uh, build. And when you run a 4.61 at 6.7, 259 pounds, you're a really damn good athlete. So I think Jelani Woods was somebody that is interesting. And I also think Greg Dolchik is somebody, the kid from UCLA out of Glendale, California. So he was a local kid out there. He ran a 4.69 at 6.4, 243 pounds. But if you watch his tape, and I actually just got done watching UCLA against Oregon 2021, studying Kayvon Thibodeau's tape. And Greg Dolchik, man, this dude has soft hands. Like he can go over the middle of the field, leap over defenders, and just pluck it out of the air. Not the blocker you're necessarily going to want. There was actually one play where where UCLA ran split flow action, so they they had Dolchik as the H back splitting to kick out the end man on the line of scrimmage, and that end man on the line of scrimmage happened to be Kayvon Thibodeau, and it did not end well for Dolchik. Let's just say that. But uh, I do really appreciate his receiving ability. And before I get into some of these other. Players, I kind of want to ask you about your guy, Jake Ferguson, man, because this is somebody that the Giants could realistically be interested in. Again, I I need to watch Wisconsin offense. I know you have watched a ton. What's your what's your evaluation of Jake Ferguson?
2: Well, first, I'll say the kid out of Virginia definitely caught my attention too. I forgot to mention him just because of the size. I just love the prototypical wide build and be able to run that fast. He reminds me probably he'll be drafted a little higher than people expect. Some team will take a chance on him, I think. I would say based on that ability and, you know, potential, the potential to stretch the seam, maybe early day th- uh, early round three, I wouldn't be surprised at this point. I've seen it happen before. Like Albert O was shot up draft boards. I think mean, he ended up going the fourth round as far as Ferguson goes. I am a big believer in Ferguson. Obviously, you know, I haven't sat on this podcast and said I wasn't a big believer in too many Wisconsin guys. So I'll try to find the guys I don't like. Hey, hey I said Jack Cohen sucks. So we got that going for us. And I'm sure, there's going to be offensive linemen through the years that, are, that I'll feel are a bit overrated. But I don't think Ferguson was overrated. I think Ferguson was held back by really poor quarterback play for his entire career at Wisconsin. He went from Jack Cohen to Graham Mertz, who's really struggled, um, came back last year. Kind of felt like there was unfinished business, but it was, it was a little bit of a disappointing season, not just for him but for the entire offense with Graham Mertz, not having the ability to kind of move the ball through the air. But Ferguson is not, even though he does have close to prototypical Y size, he's not like your blocking first tight end. You're not going to get that out of him, but he is somebody who played at Wisconsin within that program where, you know, largely believed to be across the entire college football landscape, the best at developing talent, the, the Wisconsin, the Badgers don't get a lot of top recruits, to the offensive line position recently they have gotten a few more than they used to, but it's mostly just development. They just have a really good job of coaching and developing these guys. And from a blocking standpoint, so you'll come in with at least a base level ability to hold your own as far as what he does as a blocker, but where he really stands out to me is a combination of one, his hands, and two, the trait that really stands out outside of his hands for me is his fluidity. Um, he just kind of looks like he's moving well out there, and that helps him create separation within his route running. Uh, so I think he can be a really good asset depending on where he goes in this draft. But I have been fooled before by Wisconsin tight ends who looked a little bit like him. I thought Troy Fumagalli was going to be a hit in the NFL. He wasn't. I think Ferguson's that next level Fumagalli, like a little bit better version of him. So I'd say considerably better version of Fumigali, but. We'll, we'll see what happens. It's not somebody I would use anything more than maybe like a third or fourth round pick on.
1: Okay, now that's interesting. And that's kind of where I thought he would go, at least from just collecting information around draft Twitter and stupid stuff like that. But another, I he can call him a receiver, but he's a tight end. Isaiah likely looked really smooth in the drills. He didn't run a 40, I don't believe, but he jumped 36 inches in the vertical. He's the tight end from Coastal Carolina. Now, a lot of people kind of probably comp him to an Evan Ingram because he is you know 240 pounds 245 pounds six foot four just a really really good athlete i think he has more better receiving potential than evan in- or maybe not potential because evan ingram had a lot of receiving potential he just never actualized it but i think he has a lot of receiving upside giants could be interested in a guy like that but if they want somebody who say if the giants are going for a day two tight end not named jeremy ruckert I think the guy is Trey McBride from Colorado State. Very, very productive. Had over 1,000 yards, over 90 catches, and he looked really good in the gauntlet drill. He looked really good running routes. He was very crisp. He didn't run the 40. He had 33 inches on the vert, which isn't great, but it's not terrible either. I think he's somebody who's not going to be the best athlete at tight end, but he's going to find ways to get open. He's going to make contested catches, and he's going to run crisp routes. And he can block, too. He's He might not be as dominant, as a Jeremy Rucker, who, oh, Jeremy Rucker's a good blocker, but there are times where he's beat too. He's yes. still a tight end. But, I do think Trey McBride is that other name that we have to consider for pick 36 if the Giants want to go tight end at that pick and there's not value there. I expect there to be value there because, like we said before, this is a deep class.
2: And don't get me wrong, I love the potential block, blocking tight end types or at least, I shouldn't call them blocking tight ends, the tight ends who have really good blocking ability. But it's really rare that these guys, uh, that, that they translate in my mind. Like, with the exception of like i would say George Kittle and Rob Gronkowski there really aren't too many good two way tight ends in the nfl from a blocking standpoint like a lot of these guys are built as potential good blockers but like you said even with rucker i would not call him a dominant blocker by any means i don't really find too many dominant blockers at the position in the nfl outside of the two i mentioned at least as far as the ones who just aren't not obviously not the blocking specialist types. I'm talking about the types who can also be some kind of a threat in the passing game, which is what you want at that position. You don't want to obviously have the either way, the that type or the Ingram, Evan Ingram type where you're kind of telegraphing what you're using that player for. So just something to think about when you when you kind of hear like dominant blocker. I, I feel like most of the time, Nick, and you can correct me if I'm wrong. These guys are never as dominant as they as they're kind of built to be.
1: No, they they typically aren't because a lot of like if you want a dominant blocker, usually they're going to be in combo type of blocks, right? But you don't want your tight end on the play side blocking a guy who's like a, a defender who's comparable in weight. It's typically, yeah. not going to go well for them. And especially if it's in pass protection and some, for whatever reason, it's schemed up where they're one-on-one against that tight end. It's also something that we've seen time and time again, not go well. And Jason Garrett did it, but every offensive coordinator does. It's not like something you want to avoid, but it's something that sometimes happens because it's dictated by the front that's put in front of you as an offensive protection package. Yep.
2: Exactly right. All right. Let's transition a bit and talk about the offensive line. Everybody wants to talk about the offensive line. And for good reason, it means a lot to the giants. So we can start with probably what I would say one of the biggest winners at the offensive line positions from the top guys and that would be and I'm going to get the, all these names wrong so you're just going to have to deal with it but Ikem Ekwanu is that how you pronounce his name? Um I, it might be to be honest but a lot of people <laughs> a lot of people are just going with Ikem but it could be Ikem Ikem, Ikem. No it's probably I Ikem Ekwanu. All right, well, measured in at 6 foot 4 310. That's great. Everyone expected that. 34 inch arms. Not unbelievable obviously but well over the threshold. So fine there, but then a four, nine, three, 40 yard dash. Again, I'm not a huge fan of the 40 yard dash at all for the offensive line position. I don't even understand really how it helps in any way. You're never going to have an offensive lineman running 40 yards down the field to make a block. or you at least hope don't, you don't have that though. I have seen Justin Tuck run 70 yards down the field to make a tackle. I believe it was, or uh, not, I forgot what that, that play was from Justin Tuck's rookie year, but he chased down a receiver, 70 yards down the field. Shout out Justin Tuck. But Look, the four yard dash isn't crazy to me, but I did think when I watched him, he looked like he moved well on those on-field drills. That was the key thing I thought with Aquano. Like, I was like, yeah, this dude has a lot of upside from an athleticism standpoint. If if you put him on your offensive line, it's kind of how I felt watching like the Slater tape. I'm not trying to compare tape to these on-field drills, which a lot of offensive line, I think it was Duke Manyweather, it was like, these are the most pointless, you, you should not even use these as a grain of salt. Like, you shouldn't even take these with a grain of salt, these on-field drills for offensive linemen. But... Just watching him move like that looked good. Obviously, I'm more interested in the short shuttle when it comes to offensive linemen, which I don't have the numbers on with Iquanu, but I think it was pretty clear he went out there, Nick. He wants to be the number one overall pick, and he he definitely made a case for himself.
1: Yeah, he can definitely be the number one overall pick as well. I think a lot of those guys are probably in that area. His short shuttle was four seven three. His three cone was seven eight two. Iquanu's four nine three forty. Twenty nine vert one zero eight broad jump. I like Ikama Kwanu from everything that I've seen. I got to get to his tape, and he's next on my list because I just finished up Evan Neal and I'm doing Kayvon Thibodeau. And then we're going to have a detailed breakdown of him, just like we did with Charles Cross. But everything that I saw at the combine in, in the wave drill, I thought was pretty solid from him. He looks smooth. I don't have any kind of concerns from an athletic standpoint. But another man it's Charles cross dude. And from an athletic standpoint in the mirroring drill and everything, this dude's feet are so quick. It's not a surprise. We broke it down pretty extensively, but I don't feel like he disappointed on those on-field drills with his movement skills and just his overall lower body fluidity.
2: Yeah. You're hundred percent right. Like a lot of people, again, not talking about cross as a potential option for the giants. I don't think that's going to be the case. I think the giants are definitely going to consider cross like that ability. Like you said, the, the feet, everything with an offense, almost everything in my mind with an offensive lineman and that mirror ability. Yeah. It's doesn't really project too much to what you a- may be able to do in the run game, but as far as what you may be able to do in the pass game as a pass protector, it says a lot about your potential ability to have success, protecting your passer at the next level. He looked great to me as well. I I'm not surprised at all. I think Charles Cross belongs in the conversation as one of the 15 best player prospects in this draft, 10, 15 best prospects, depends where you want to go with it. Um, and so definitely someone that stood out to me. Another player I want to talk about um, kind of going, you know, not, not staying on the same position, just players on my list. And you can do the same Zion Johnson, because he's somebody we talked a lot about during the senior bowl time and somebody who we believe might be available for the giants at the top of round two, when they pick an in interior offensive lineman. 32 bench press reps. That was pretty freaking awesome. Especially when you watch him, like not just at the senior bowl, but when you throw on any BC games, and you see that he also can't, you know, he has foot quickness too. It's not like he's just this like thumping type interior guy who can throw up 32 bench press reps. He seems to me like he's got, as from an athletic standpoint, he's he's got almost a total package for an interior guy.
1: No, he definitely does, dude. And the fact that he was transitioning to to center to give himself basically every position along the offensive line, at least in terms of guard tackle center, when he was doing that at the Senior Bowl, speaks volumes of him as somebody who's coachable and somebody you probably want on your team. He is yeah. a versatile player who is, I feel like, going to have a good NFL future. Now, he, there were reps that he lost against Travis Jones during those Senior Bowl practices, and he has lost in college as well when he was at bc but i would love for this kid to be available at 36 i would absolutely run to the podium type of pick i just don't foresee that happening
2: yeah he's definitely on our short list wish list for 36 uh, it probably won't happen but i think it's in play it's in play like think the interior, yeah but these interior guys like sometimes like dalton rizer dropped in the draft i believe into the same range you had obviously "Quote unquote," drop Will Hernandez. He was expected to potentially go in the first round. Didn't end up going in the first round, so it's still possible to me. Uh, we'll see, but I, I agree with you as as far it's early on, Nick. But right now, it feels pretty pretty. Comp- we can feel pretty confident saying that Zion Johnson will probably be on our short list with that second round pick for the Giants. The interior offensive lineman at Boston College, you can actually play all all five positions or has, um, and he's trying or at least trying to learn the center position. But we'll probably settle in on the interior somewhere at the NFL level. And guess what? The Giants need what? Minimum two, probably three interior interior offensive linemen right now.
1: Yeah, they, they need a lot of help on the interior. And they also need help at right tackle. And I think somebody else who should be in the conversation if the Giants do trade down. And I haven't watched Northern Iowa tape yet. Yeah, it's kind of hard to find. But from everything that I've seen, I love the demeanor, the physicality of Trevor Penning from Northern Iowa. And he killed the combine, man. I mean, a 9-3 broad jump, 28 vert. Four, eight, nine, forty at six, seven, 325 pounds, bro. I mean, that's somebody who can move, has over 34 inch arms, over 10 inch hands. I feel like, from the film that I have seen from him and just watching Matt the Senior ball, I think, from a technical standpoint, in terms of how he uses his hands, it, it definitely could use some work. But a six foot seven guy with this type of movement skills and that type of ferocious, just nastiness is something that's going to appeal to offensive line coaches. So he's another name that we have to probably do an evaluation on.
2: We're definitely going to have to do evaluation on him. If we can get the film, we'll see what happens with that. But he's definitely someone who's intrigued to me. I always worry about these guys who are kind of buoyed a little bit, buoyed, using a bad word there, by their like quote-unquote fiery spirit and their physical stuff and all those highlight type clips where they're throwing somebody to the ground. But having said that, he answered a big question for me at the Combine, which was his agility. And you didn't mention it, but I, I don't know if you have these numbers and you can confirm if they're right or wrong. I'm pretty sure this is correct. He ran a seven two five three second, uh, a seven two five second three cone drill, which was the best in the entire offensive tackle group, which says a lot to me because he's someone who I had a little bit of question marks as far as his athleticism translating to the next level. Obviously, you see, you love the mean spirited stuff that you know throwing guys to the ground, the aggression, whatever. But I like to see that at that size, he's still really agile because he's a big man. He's a long, big prospect, and just as far as athleticism goes it definitely feels like he checks out as a blue chip first round type guy but obviously that's what the film is for we're gonna have to take a look and see you know how far away he might be from being able to translate to the nfl game
1: yes and then another there's two other guys i really want to hit on and one is could be selected at pick 36 if the giants forego selecting a tackle in the top 10 or even if they trade back in the first round And that is Bernard Ryman out of Austria. And he ended up going to Central Michigan. This is somebody who used to be a tight end. He was 6'6", 303 pounds, just lightning quick feet, benched 225 pounds, 30 times a 50540. Solid, explosive numbers as well in terms of the vert and the jump. He's somebody, again, Central Michigan tape, haven't gotten to it yet. Everything I've heard, I, I really like the idea of what Ryman can be. So he's somebody we have to acknowledge. And then there's Cam Juergens. You probably know a little bit more about Cam Jurgens than I do coming from the big 10. He was the the Nebraska center, another player who was a tight end initially, and then transitioned into being an offensive lineman. He's very quick, man. If you turn on, his just his highlight film. You could see how he climbs up to the second lang- level, cuts off angles, and is just one of those types of interior offensive linemen, like a Tyler Lindebaum where they're very, very athletic. He was six, three was North of 300 pounds at 303 pounds. He's somebody else that definitely interests me as a day three pick. I think he's uh somebody that could uh, possibly slip in the day two though.
2: And I want to give a shout out to our the big blue Panther listener, Austrian giants. Who's from Austria and huge fan of Bernard Ryan Raymond. Is it Raymond or Ryman? <laughs> he's gonna love this, dude. He's he's gonna love this. He's gonna,
1: he's probably laughing his backside <laughs> off right now because he messaged me specifically about this.
2: <laughs> is it Raymond or Ryman?
1: It's Ryman, I
2: believe. All right. And if I'm wrong, me. <laughs> and is it Bernard? That's the other question. But I believe it is Bernard Ryman. And you know, he wants us to do a pre- draft profile on him. We might because I was looking into him after he he really wasn't on my radar much until the combine. And man, he is. I, we're talking about. That pure raw athleticism and that ball of clay type mold ability. he's like such an interesting guy. Like you get somebody like that on your offensive line, you get him with the right coaching, and who knows what he can become for your team? I mean, what did the Eagles do with what's his name? Who's the tackle that that they have now? I I always forgotten how to pronounce his name. Myla is
1: yeah, Jordan Mylata.
2: Mylata, yeah. Like out of nowhere, they invested nothing into him. It was an unbelievable steel value play for them. They they drafted or they found him. They Molded him, they coached him right, and now he's one of the best players on that offensive line. They didn't have to do anything to get him, they didn't have to use the top five pick or whatever it may be. So I'm definitely interested in Raymond, Ryman. Sorry, <laughs> Ryman, Ryman, like uh I'm just gonna think of it like in, in hip hop terms, Ryman. So yeah, definitely interested in him as well. So we'll see what happens there as well. I want to talk about one player who was considered a loser at the combine uh, from the offensive line group, and that was Kenyon Green from Tech to and M. Obviously he has a lot of fanfare to Kenyon Green. Um, some believe he's one of the best offensive linemen in the class, but five two four forty, which again I don't care about, but just something to think about and people are knocking him for. They think that, you know, some of the issues on his film were being a little bit slow feet, uh, you know, heavier feet, slow footed, and only twenty repetitions on the bench press, which were the second fewest. So, and same thing with the vertical and the broad jumps. He was uh average or below average in both of those. So do you care at all about Kenyon Green's uh quote unquote poor combine showing?
1: I think it was also just how he was a little bit sloppy in the movement drills and the wave drill and a couple of the other drills, the mirroring drill. He seemed to struggle with just kind of getting the the pattern down, which I think some people question and kind of help substantiate their view of his change of direction. So uh, that does concern me a little bit, specifically if you're talking about him being selected in the in the top ten. But in terms of him running a slower forty, that doesn't really bother me. The explosive numbers do uh, a little bit and. Uh, Kenyon Green again got to get the Texas A and M's offensive line, and we will have an evaluation on him as well. But as far as the combine goes, he didn't do well for himself. I think that's safe to say.
2: Yeah, exactly. And again, this is we're 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 a film based pod. We're not putting too much credit into the combine stuff. But again, the, what you mentioned, the more importantly, the on field stuff, just how he looks was probably at least something worth questioning. All right, anyone else in the offensive line group you want to touch on before we wrap this up?
1: I'm a big fan of Luke Fortner, to be honest. His combine was wasn't excellent by any means, but I think he's somebody who the Giants can get on day three, early day three, and he could probably start year one. And he's somebody that I that I stumbled across watching Darian Canard film back in like the end of December or something, and I didn't even know about him. And I was like, who the heck is Kentucky center? Like, who is this guy? And then I I started doing film on him and Darian Kennard at the same time. And I was like, bro, I might like Fortner better than Darian Kennard. And nobody is discussing him. But he ended up getting a post-Combine interview with Joe Thomas, which was really, really good. And I think this kid is, is somebody, man, I hope he's there on day three. And I hope the Giants go with guys like him and Dylan Parham in that day three range, late day two range, to kind of help replenish their interior offensive line. Because I do believe it's a deep group this year. Yeah, exactly.
2: That's the center out of Kentucky, right? Yep. Yeah, he he's getting a lot of fanfare now, and people are starting to wisen up to him. He could be an interesting plug-and-play type guy for the Giants, and they, they might just need that, right? Like They might get yeah. to day three and be like, we need at least someone to compete for one of these positions right away. And it doesn't even matter if like he might not get it, but we need someone else to compete for one of these positions. We're not stuck trading for Billy Price at the end of this cycle or giving a fourth-round pickup for Ben Bredesen. So we'll see what happens there. All right. Thank you again for tuning into the Big Blue Banter podcast. This has been a combined recap of the offensive side of the ball. Stay tuned. Check your podcast feed because coming to you next is a defensive recap. And there are some big names I wanted to talk about and wanted to get Nick's opinions on. So hopefully he has some strong takes coming. Have a good rest of your week. We'll talk to you soon.